Welcome back. Episode 72. Guess what? Guess what? It's November. It's football time. The best time of the year where champions show themselves and frauds expose themselves. My favorite time of the year, the best time of the year. This is where champions show it, put it all on the line. It's where they do it. All right, that was cheesy, but you get the point. We're, <laughs> we're here. We are recording on November 12th, 2023, episode 72 of the We Know Ball podcast. My name is Ryan. Thank you guys for tuning in. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you do, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you uh, end up tuning in, it's always appreciated. That being said, college football, week 11, in the books. NFL, week 10, minus one game, in the books. We'll get to it. We'll cover it. We'll go through the rankings. We'll go through all the scores, all the talking points, all the breakdowns you want. Quickly wanted to touch on a couple of other things with baseball, with uh, NBA, and we'll go from there. So, oh boy, we got a lot to talk about, right? NBA, well, first we'll talk about baseball. Right. That's my bread and butter. That's where I pride myself. As a man of faith, as Castellanos drives onto left field. No, but seriously. Baseball, baseball, baseball. Uh, we've got some we've got some gold gloves. We've got some platinum gloves given out. We've got some big time awards that are going to be coming out here shortly. Pretty much all all but wrapped up. It's just basically pending official announcements things like mvp cy young rookies of the year in baseball um a lot of free agency to talk about and we'll get into that free agency probably as it starts to develop more when the calendar flips over to 2024 officially uh in january because that's when these guys really i think start to actually lean one way come across lucrative or not offers just those types of things um there's been some managerial hires, which I do like. I'm looking at MLB.com right now. Uh, things like Steven Vogt getting hired by the, the, uh, 
Cleveland Guardians. Love that. Uh, Ron Washington, hired by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Love that. Uh, the Mets named that. I don't even know the guy's name. The Yankees bench coach, their manager. That's one where it's. Uh, in fact, what is that? What is that uh, guy's name? Mets new manager. Not Buck Showalter, Carlos Mendoza. So he's the Yankees bench coach. He's now the manager of the New York Mets. How do I feel about it? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see, right? A lot of these guys, oh, what a horrible, horrible signing, horrible this. And it's like, you don't really know. Uh, but I think the Mets fans should be okay with it. Um, the other big storyline amongst the managerial situations of baseball is the whole Craig Council debacle. Craig Council active manager of the Milwaukee Brewers leaves them like not contract up looking for a job, not assistant coach looking for a manager. Like he was the acting manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. He has offered a bigger, better opportunity and contract with the Chicago Cubs and just leaves the Brewers goes to the Cubs. That's crazy to see a guy leave in the division like that while he has an active, steady, you know, situation with the Brewers. Well-liked, well-respected, clearly, sought after apparently around baseball uh but he goes to the cubs from the brewers that's wild um but that was that was just the main talking points about baseball so far right i mean again we're at that point where it's like free agency officially yeah it started but like no one's gonna sign yet and it's like the managers go first and then the calendar kind of flips over to the new year even in December, I do feel like some guys will sign. Um, maybe the big guys will sign in December, but I feel like it's typically January. A lot of it's a waiting game and a back and forth, and they let time pass. And so that is what it is, uh, but that's the extent of baseball. My favorite team, the San Diego Padres, has yet to announce a new manager after Bob Melvin went from the Padres. Similar situation, honestly, to the Craig Council ordeal. Goes from the Padres to now managing the San Francisco Giants. So he gets kind of picked out by the Giants, offered a job, probably more money, closer to home for Bob Melvin specifically. So a lot of the managerial moves, not a lot of player moves. And as those player moves, we'll get into it. Uh, but of course, the primary focus here in the month of November is football. And right before we get to football, the, the thing I just had to talk about really quickly okay so nba is underway right looking at the standings here uh just conference wise kind of exactly what you'd expect it to be probably towards the end of the season i don't think you're going to expect the milwaukee bucks to be the eight seed they're the eight seed in the eastern conference right now they'll probably be uh, up in the top five when it's all said and done. But Sixers in the in the number one seed, Celtics at number two, uh, Heat and Pacers three, four. So like those teams will all be in it. Those teams will be relevant. Uh, Pacers have been playing some good basketball. I'll be honest. They've been playing some really good basketball. Who knows what's going to happen? That bottom uh, six in the Eastern Conference, probably not going to waver a whole lot. Cavs, Bulls, Hornets, Wizards, Pistons is what it is, right? Similarly, in the Western Conference, I think you may expect a little bit of a pickup from, again, 
teams like the Lakers, who are the eight seed, probably find them in the top five when it's all said and done. Warriors are the six seed. They probably move up a little bit. Uh, but the Nuggets are the one seed. Not shocking. Mavericks are the two seed. Not entirely shocking. Um, so you have a lot to look at in the NBA already. Most of these teams have 10, nine or 10 games under their belt. So you're starting to kind of see, are these teams legit or not? And uh, I would say so for a lot of the teams towards the top. We knew the Nuggets were going to be good as defending champions. Um, we knew the Sixers would be good. We knew the Celtics would be good. We knew the Heat would be good. And they're all towards the top. Um, two things I wanted to talk about quickly in the NBA. So number one, sitting at the 13 seed in the Western Conference, San Antonio Spurs. Right, Spurs are three and seven. They get the number one pick. They take Victor Wimanyama. And in the world we live in with instant gratification, everyone needs to see instant results right away. And I think the reason that is more than anything is because when you see instant results, you know, you can like, you know, whatever the case is, a player, a team, a coach, whatever it is, you know, oh, well, if he's good right away, then he can be good. Like it's not going to take this long development when they're not good at the beginning. Again, team coach player. The back of your head is always saying, I don't know if they can be good because I haven't seen it yet. Right. So what should I expect them to be? Not good. Expect them to be underperforming. A lot of people were super quick to point out Victor Wimanyama's flaws and maybe his slight lack of production first two weeks, first week of the season in the NBA. I think I can confidently say most people would agree. Yeah, you know what? You can say this with a lot of number one picks, but it's all speculation. And a lot of times it's hope because you say, oh, I've seen what he can do in college. Okay. I've seen what he can do before the NBA. That's a decent reference point. It's a little bit more difficult with a guy like Victor Wimanyama coming over from Europe. Right. He's not coming out of the big time college basketball world that we have in the United States. But Victor Wimanyama comes over, struggles literally for like five games, maybe, maybe five games. People are like, oh, that's that's what that's what I don't know. And a lot of people also thought, yeah, he's a rookie. He'll probably take some time to develop. Some of the plays we've already seen from Victor Wimanyama is enough for me to say confidently that by potentially this time next year and definitely in his second year, he'll be in the mix for top five player in the league. If not potentially running away with MVPs, if he can stay on the court, if the Spurs can start to improve, add some supplemental pieces around him. There's no reason why Victor Wembanyama shouldn't be in the same conversation as Nikola Jokic, as Giannis Antetokounmpo, all the big boys you want to talk about. And I say big boys, I mean like, personality and contribution big boys but also physically Victor Wembanyama is doing things that none of those other guys can do Giannis potentially but I don't even think Giannis is quite as good a shooter as Victor Wembanyama like Giannis doesn't like to take threes he can and he'll make them but Wembanyama at any point will be posting a guy up and almost make his way out to the three-point line because he likes and wants to take that shot and then he hits it effortlessly same with Nikola Jokic he'll take threes one maybe two a game Wembenyama 
if push comes to shove and they're loading the box underneath the basket, he'll just stay outside. He'll shoot. Elbow. He'll shoot. That's a type of talent and a type of player. The NBA, I'm not sure, has ever seen. Of course, you can have some historical reference back to some of the all-time greats. But as everybody knows, it's different eras, different times. A lot of that stuff. Yeah, you know it's on film, but it's also a lot of like word of mouth in terms of, oh, this guy was this good, and this is how I know. With Victor Wembanyama, it's right in front of us. I mean, he's just, he's got a seven and a half foot wingspan. He shoots threes. He catches alley-oops like a foot above the rim. He doesn't jump when he dunks. It, the guy is so crazy. And I think from what I've seen already, I, I'm prepared to put it down right now that he'll be in top five, top 10 consideration as early as his second year in the league, potentially MVP caliber second or third year. That's how good this guy's going to be. He's an absolute freak. He's an absolute freak. The team right above the San Antonio Spurs, LA Clippers, right? Spurs are three and six. Clippers, uh, excuse me, Spurs are three and seven. They've played one more game than the Clippers. Clippers are three and six. So not much better. Half a game better. Clippers get James Harden. And I'll tell you, just use your eyes, watch the game, provide a little bit of context based on what's gone on with James Harden in the past 18 to 24 months. I'm not sure if I was an NBA team, I'm not sure I'd let James Harden play on my roster for free. That's how much of a disaster James Harden has become in the NBA. So problematic off the court, constantly complaining, constantly blaming other people. Saw a reporter or a TV analyst for, I believe it was the Dallas Mavericks, but it was an opposing team welcoming in the Clippers to play against them. And he just went in on James Harden. And the clip's gone pretty viral. I think mostly because everything the guy said about James Harden, 1,000% accurate. Everywhere he's been, everything he's done, since he's left Oklahoma City, it's been nothing but an issue. I mean, does he know? Does James Harden actually know that strategically speaking, fundamentally in the game of basketball, passing the ball is one of the most beneficial things you can do. And additionally, unless you're built like Giannis Antetokounmpo or Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, maybe, you can't play basketball like James Harden does successfully, and you definitely just can't get away with it for long periods of time, especially when you're older slower and the teammates around you could care less about your success and you could clearly care less about their success you just want personal numbers that's all james harden wants that's all he cares about and when that doesn't happen and he doesn't put up the, the personal numbers and then the team subsequently doesn't win james harden finger point point finger point finger point you it's your fault it's his fault coach's fault gm's fault teammates fault James Harden is like a flesh-eating bacteria. That's how bad 
it has become for him. Tuned into the Clippers game the other day, and he's just dribbling on the elbow between his legs. One on one, pull up three, air ball. And again, you know, that happens to some guys. But it's not ideal coming from a guy who's done nothing but complain about everybody else around him and blame them for his lack of success. Elbow three, air ball. Drives the lane, stripped. Turnover. Drives the lane again, contested layup. Nowhere close. Doesn't have the strength. Doesn't have the size anymore. Doesn't have the speed. At this point, he's just living off of namesake alone. And the Clippers made a massive mistake acquiring that guy for anything more than a rack of basketballs. I mean, the guy is such a joke, man. And he just complains. And then, and then he goes out and he just doesn't play well. I mean, how much more does the guy need? How much more does he need? He was on an Oklahoma City team with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, you know, they had a, a decent stretch. Nothing came out of it. Okay, well, they're young and a lot of personalities. They all go their separate ways. Ends up with Houston. Nothing comes out of it. Forces a trade to Brooklyn. Back with Kevin Durant. Not only does nothing happen, they become worse after the acquisitions. Points fingers, blames everybody else, forces a trade. Philly. For Ben Simmons. I'd rather have Ben Simmons. Uh, actually, I don't know. That might be pushing it. But you get my point. Then he goes from Philly. Has no success. Point finger, point finger, point finger. Your fault, your fault, your fault. Forced to the Clippers. Now it's early in his Clippers, you know, season in 2023. But it's not going to go anywhere. Clippers aren't going to be good. Clippers probably won't make the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, they're not going to do anything. They'll get pounded by the Mavericks. They'll get pounded by Golden State, right? Lakers, they'll just get killed. Whoever they come up against. James Harden is everything that the NBA represents on the negative side of the scale. Everything the league doesn't want, everything the league hates, that's your guy. What a joke. James Harden. I don't honestly, this is probably the last time I'll ever talk about James Harden. Maybe. But I just hate a word that's commonly used by one of my favorite teams, one of my favorite coaches, Nick Saban, energy vampire. That's James Harden. He's an energy vampire. He's worthless. All he does is suck the energy out of your team. Less, oh, he's playing well. And everyone else is all stars. And they're all, everyone else around him, I should say, is all stars. And they're all playing well. Then James Harden, Mr. Happy Go Lucky. But rarely is that the case ever, let alone every time James Harden demands a trade somewhere. Anyways, that's the NBA talk. That's all we're going to talk about with the NBA. Uh, as we move on here from the NBA to college football. I mentioned previously, week 11 of the college football calendar is in the books. We're getting down to it. We are getting right down to it. As we do in college football, we go through the rankings from number one 
all the way down the, the scoreboard, all the top teams go through their talking points, go through uh, how they did, and ultimately probably try to predict what the rankings are going to be, but it's, it's, it's pretty obvious at this point. So I don't know. It, it's going to be tough, and we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Again, starting from the top, top rankings, going through the scores, whatever. So uh, number one was is Ohio State. They were number one in the college football playoff rankings. They've got, you know, wins over Penn State, over Notre Dame. Okay, they're number one. They played Michigan State, beat them 38-3. to Pretty, uh, I don't know, pretty, you know, meaningless game. They won. They won big. They beat a bad team. Got it. Uh, number two, Georgia hosted number nine, Ole Miss, top 10 matchup. And they beat them 52 to 17. So Ole Miss is number nine, but they have two losses now. Two losses on their total record of eight and two, but they're five and two in the SEC. Uh, they will probably drop. I don't know where, but they're going to drop. I would imagine somewhere in the mid-teens because uh, they've got some pretty quality losses to Alabama and Georgia. Uh, but ultimately, Ole Miss just didn't show up. Jackson Dart, I think he got hurt towards the end of that game. Georgia was just imposing their will. It's like they scored almost every time they touched the ball. I mean, they had 14 points in the first, second, and fourth quarter. And then they had 10 points in the third quarter. Like, they're scoring twice, two touchdowns basically every quarter. How, you can't keep up with that. Unless you're, like, Washington. But then, even then, you can't keep up with that when you're playing Georgia and their defense is that good. I, well, we'll go through the, the predictions of the rankings but i think that win and that that style of win for georgia was enough to bump them back up to number one uh but you know you can't you, you can't penalize ohio state right because they won they handled their business but i don't know i think that win is uh really impressive so number three michigan Played Penn State, number 10 Penn State, another top 10 matchup. Uh, Jim Harbaugh suspended. The whole team is is embracing that sort of, I don't know. I don't want to call, I don't know what you call it, victim mentality. I don't think, I don't think they actually like think they are victims. But it's giving them this extra layer of motivation which is going to be very problematic for everybody the rest of the way. I mean, they didn't even throw the ball against Penn State. I think they actually didn't attempt a forward pass in the second half, or at least they didn't complete a forward pass in the second half. I mean, they won 24 to 15 over Penn State. They're 10 no. Penn State, just such a scared, scared program. Scared head coach, scared quarterback. Uh, I said that earlier in the year when they lost to Ohio State. Now, of course, those are two really good teams, top three teams. 
But in, at both points, it's like they never even gave themselves a chance to win because of how they went about their business. Drew Allers looked like a deer in headlights for Penn State at home, hosting a, a top five team. Like, I think he'd come out, I think they'd come out, a little bit of hair on fire, try to eliminate one, one aspect of Michigan's offense, which is the run game. That obviously was never anywhere near the game plan. Or at least Michigan potentially, I guess Michigan just dominated everything in the line of scrimmage. It's Blake Corum at 26 carries for a buck 45, two touchdowns. I mean, they just, all they had to do was just turn around and hand the ball off to Blake Corum. And they would eventually get a first down, move the ball, run the clock. They didn't get a touchdown. They kick a field goal. They win. They won the game 24 to 15. Um, I don't know if Michigan, I just, I'm not sure what's going to happen with this. I know Harbaugh suspended for the rest of the regular season on that on as far as being on the sideline uh, he can coach the team during the week just can't be on the sideline for the games honestly i don't know how much that actually like impacts them at all because he's coaching them during the week like i mean i guess the head coach makes the decisions on things like punts and going for it or those types of things field goal like I guess, but most of that stuff is pretty much predetermined based on like analytics anyways. And they probably have enough time throughout the week in preparation. If Harbaugh says, if this is the score, if this is the situation, you know, like I said, analytics, like they got literally, they have like calculators, you know, they have like, uh, and I don't mean like actual like button put pressing thing. Like they have uh, tablets on the sideline that are like analytically speaking, you know, 77% of the time, you should go for this fourth and one from the 40 yard line, like stuff like that, where it's like Harbaugh doesn't even need to be there. Stupid. The, the suspension was just kind of dumb. In my opinion, it just doesn't do anything. But I mean, I guess they had to, had to suspend him. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, number four, Florida state played Miami at home and beat them 27 to 20. They're 10 and 0. Uh, I think Florida State's pretty good. Uh, I think, you know, if they end up in the college football playoff, I'd be surprised if they get past the first round, meaning get through to the get through the semifinals into the final. I think they're a good team, but I just see Georgia matching up against Florida State and just just destroying them, killing them. I don't know. Just Florida State quarterback play. I mean, Jordan Travis is pretty solid, uh, but they, they just make every game a one-score game, and everything's close. Uh, it's always coming down to the end and, like, the last possession. And I, I just I haven't seen them, like, I guess the couple games they've won pretty big, but, like, against bad opponents, like, against decent opponents, they don't, like, bury anybody. They just keep it close, keep it close, keep it close. Doesn't mean they're not good because they're finding ways to win, but... Feels a little bit more like me. Feels a little bit more to me like the bounces have been going their way. Not like, oh, they've been winning every game. They haven't got lucky because it's not a good way to put it. I just don't think Florida State would do very well against a team like Georgia. But that's just me. Uh, number five, Washington played number 18, Utah. Beat them 35 to 28. That game was pretty tight. Uh, Washington, you know, they're 10 and 0. They're 7 and 0 in the Pac-12. Uh, I, you know, I've obviously bagged on Washington and I don't 
I said it before also, I don't mean to call them a bad team. I don't think they are a bad football team. I think they're a good football team. Really good. I just don't think matchup-wise, they would even stand a chance against Georgia or Michigan. Um, potentially Texas, potentially Alabama. Like it's it's I just don't I, I just don't. I mean, Utah had a backup quarterback in, gave up 28 to the backup QB. Uh you know, yeah, they scored 35, but like they win 35, 28, they went by seven points over Utah and, you know, they're favored by, I know, double digits. Like I just, I don't know, Washington. Okay. They're number five. They're five. Like they're probably going to win out and they'll, uh, you know, find themselves in the Pac-12 championship against Oregon. Be interesting to see. And that's the discussion we'll get into here in a second. Uh, speaking of Oregon, they beat USC 36-27. Bo Nix had 4-12 and 4 touchdowns. That's insane. USC, 7-4, 5-3 in the Pac-12. USC is trash. Uh, they have been all year. Number 7, Texas edges out TCU 29-26. Uh, Texas didn't look great. Quinn Ewers looked okay. TCU has a bad defense, and on they let... Uh, Who's that top? Who's the top runner for uh, Jonathan Brooks? The running back for Texas, 21 carries, 104, two touchdowns. I mean, that's just, that's, you're never going to win, giving that up. I mean, unless you score 40, but TC didn't have that. The game got a little tighter towards the end. Uh, Texas wins. They're nine and one. Uh, number eight, Alabama beats Kentucky, 49 to 21. Jalen Milrow. 234 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and he had three rushing touchdowns. That's insane. Uh, sneaking his way into potentially the college, or being the uh, Heisman Trophy conversation. Not saying he's going to win it, not saying he deserves to be in nominated or whatever you want to say, but he's certainly improved as the season's gone on. Uh, number 12, Oregon State played Stanford, beat them 62 to 17. Enough said. Uh, top 15 matchup of number 13, Tennessee. Number 14, Missouri. SEC. Missouri beats Tennessee 36-7. to I mean, Tennessee again. Last year, I think a little bit of flash in the pan for them. Hendon Hooker was amazing. Jalen Hyatt. I mean, they had, every, they had a ton of weapons. And, um, you know, they just kind of got screwed with the Georgia situation because Georgia's always in the SEC East. They lose to Georgia. They don't get to play for the SEC championship. I don't know. That, that, and that stuff's kind of always been weird to me, but whatever. Tennessee uh, now has three losses. They're obviously way, way, way out of the conversation, but they had two losses all the way at 13. So, you know, who knows? Missouri, number 14, uh, they might slide up. They might find themselves sneak into the top 10. I mean, they're 8-2. and two. They're 4-2 and two in the SEC. Who knows? Who knows? You know, their two losses are to Georgia and uh, actually, I'm curious. Their two losses are to LSU and Georgia. I mean, those are two good teams, two quality losses, if you can say that. And um, yeah, I, I think Missouri could sneak their way to the top 10. Uh, number 15, Oklahoma State coming off a huge win against Oklahoma at Bedlam. They played UCF and Oklahoma State lost 45 to 3. Um, the running back for UCF had 206 rushing yards and three touchdowns. I, Oklahoma State, uh, wait, like what happened? Just didn't, never got off the bus. What happened? Brutal. 
Uh, they're they're going to slide. Uh, number f- 16, number 16, Kansas played unranked Texas Tech, loses 16 to 13. So weird. Like, just didn't show up, didn't get off the bus. Weird. Uh, Oklahoma, who slid down to 17, beats West Virginia 59 to 20. Uh, number 19, LSU, beats Florida 52 to 35. Jaden Daniels had 372 passing yards, 234 rushing yards. Five total touchdowns. That guy's a freak. I mean, he's really, really good. Uh, yeah, good for him. Number 21, Arizona. Walk-off field goal against Colorado. Beats them 34-31. Number 22, Iowa. Beats Rutgers 22-0. Tulane 23 ranked. Beats Tulsa 24-22. to 24th, North Carolina. Beats Duke uh, in overtime. Two overtimes and whatever. And number 25, Kansas State beats Baylor uh, 59 to 25. So that rounds out the top 25. Um, top 25 losses this past week include number nine, Ole Miss, number 10, Penn State, uh, number 18, Utah, number 13, Tennessee, number 15, Oklahoma, number 16, Kansas. Uh, so that's six top 25 losses. Uh, if I'm going to make my, my predictions for where the college football playoff should be after. Week 11 in college football, Georgia should be one, Ohio State should be two, Michigan should be three, Florida State should be four, Washington should be five, Oregon six, Texas seven, Alabama eight. After that, Penn State and Ole Miss both lost at nine and ten. I bet they probably slide. I bet Oregon State slides up to nine, maybe. Missouri slides up to 10. And then those two teams that lost in Ole Miss and Penn State slide to 11 and 12, maybe, because the rest of those teams behind them lost. So, yeah, I don't know. Iowa potentially at eight and two could slide up pretty, pretty severely. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, the top four, five, six, seven, eight probably shouldn't change. Um, and here's the thing, right? And I told you we were going we were going to get to this. It's it's really a shame that the twelve team playoff isn't in in place for this season, at least an eighteen playoff. And I say that because I think this year would be one of those prime examples. And I'm hoping this carries over of those teams that lose one game or lose two games, find their way into the playoff at number 11, number 10, but are better football teams in better conferences matching up against teams that are undefeated in worse conferences. Those teams will get exposed because as it stands right now, let's say they did 18 playoff. You would have. Ohio State play Alabama. You would have Georgia playing Texas. You'd have Michigan playing Oregon, and you'd have Florida State beating Washington or playing Washington and beating them. So, sorry, recap. As it stands now, if it was eight teams this year, which I think they should have transitioned it, they should have gone from four to eight to 12. 12 is going to be fine, but I don't know. If they did eight this year, you'd have Ohio State and Alabama 
which would be an unbelievable football game. You'd have Georgia playing Texas. I think Georgia beats them pretty good. You'd have Michigan playing Oregon. Michigan would definitely beat Oregon. And you'd have Florida State playing Washington. Florida State would beat Washington. And I wish it would have happened already this year. Because if you would have got those matchups between what inevitably will probably happen in the playoff this year between a Big Ten slash SEC team against a Pac-12 team. I'm not a Pac-12 hater. I don't think the, the entire conference is completely worthless. However, it is just disbanding after this year. But the teams this year in the Pac-12, I don't think match up to any of the top four teams or the teams behind them. I don't think Washington's a bad team. I don't think Oregon's a bad team. I think they're good. I think they're really good. I think they're top 10. But I don't think they're, they're worthy of getting an actual shot at the national championship. And they probably will get a shot. Oregon will have a shot playing Washington in the Pac-12 championship. They just will. They beat them. Depending on how they beat them, they could sneak into the top four. Now, what do you do? Let me ask you this. With a four-team playoff this year, what do you do in the SEC championship if Alabama beats Georgia? Oregon in the Pac-12 championship beats Washington. Florida State loses in the ACC championship. Let's say for argument's sake, Michigan beats Ohio State. So one lost teams in the top eight, and let's say Texas wins the Big 12 the rest of the way. So again, to recap, what do you do? What do you do with a four-team playoff this year if the conference championship games go as follows? Alabama beats Georgia. Oregon beats Washington. Florida State loses. Not even the Big Ten championship, but let's just say Michigan beats Ohio State. And then Texas wins the Big 12. One lost teams, potentially, you could have Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Oregon, and Washington. Then what do you do? And this has always been the flaw of the four-team playoff. Because you can't just say losses are losses, right? In that one-loss whole thing situation, they probably immediately default to head-to-head. That wouldn't work great with Oregon and Washington because they'd be one-on-one each against each other. You probably end up putting Texas above Alabama, but then that means you put them above Georgia, but Georgia was the better team all year. So is Texas better than Georgia because Texas beat Bama, Bama beat Georgia? But then Texas lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not good. So their one loss isn't as quality as Alabama's loss. Like, this is what I'm talking about. We can't just look at record. There has to be a value system. There has to be metrics, numbers, analytics. We live in such an age of technology and numbers and percentages. I mean, every time I watch a football game, it's like AWS sprint speed or all this stuff. And all this. it's like, can we work that into this playoff committee instead of just having a bunch of dudes voting on it? Seriously. And just the eye test. Oh, they all have one loss, but this team looked better than this team. 
And I know football is so, you know, one game, one team could not show up and it could blow up in everybody's face. I get it. But in that situation of those five one-loss teams, I'm putting Georgia back in. I'm putting Alabama in. I'm probably putting Michigan in. And I'm probably putting Ohio State in. Because I think those are the best four teams. Now, I don't have the numbers to back it up. I don't have the support. I don't have all those things I reference because I am not on the college football playoff committee. I think those guys should have that. Otherwise, I'm not, I'm not sure that the, the system is valuable. Thankfully, the 12-team playoff will probably alleviate some of these, these negotiations and these issues. But the 14-team playoff this year has the potential to be an absolute disaster. I think college football this season, the college football playoff is in jeopardy of a massively underwhelming, disappointing, and to a lot of people, completely discredited Final Four college football playoff. Because if Alabama beats Georgia and they both have one loss, if Oregon beats Washington and they both have one loss, Michigan and Penn State, or Michigan and Ohio State, rather, Michigan and Ohio State have to play each other. One of them is going to walk away with a loss. You're going to have five amazing football teams with one loss, and it's all going to come down to a bunch of guys saying which team, which team's loss doesn't look as bad. Which team's wins looked better. And it shouldn't come down to that. I wish the 12-team playoff was in right now, but because it's not, because it's four teams, college football is in jeopardy of a disastrous Final Four college football playoff. Disastrous. If that situation unfolds, if Alabama just beats Georgia, right there, that's it. Just Alabama and Georgia, and we know Michigan and Ohio State, one of them is going to have a loss. What do you do? What do you do if Alabama beats Georgia on a walk-off field goal, Michigan beats Ohio State in three overtimes? What do you do? You can't tell me that Florida State or Washington is just better than Ohio State because they don't have a loss. They didn't play the same teams. They didn't face the same opponents. Florida State never had to play anybody the caliber of Michigan. Alabama or, or Washington or Oregon never had to play a team the caliber of Georgia. So uh, potential for disaster. Disaster. Because I've heard people say this too, and I'm, I'm like, oh, well, this and that and whatever. I'm an Alabama fan. I'm a bandwagon Alabama fan. Didn't go there. Didn't know anybody that went there. Grew up watching them on TV as an avid college football fan in elementary, middle, and high school. Transferred through into college. Didn't go to a big school. Didn't have a football team. Stuck with the Alabama Crimson Tide all the way through. Now, I thought, even though they lost to Texas, I'm like, oh, well, it's still all right in front of them to get into the playoff. Still all there, right in front of them. Because if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship and they're 11-1, they, they, they are one of the top four teams. Absolutely, they are one of the top four. But people are like, wait, wait. Let's say everybody wins out. Everybody in the top four wins out. 
or even this. Everybody uh, in front of Alabama wins the rest of their games, except Alabama beats Georgia in the NCC championship. And like I said, as we know, for argument's sake, let's say Ohio State loses to Michigan. So you've got, let's say, Michigan won, Florida State two, Washington three. And you've got one loss Georgia, one loss Ohio State, one loss Alabama, and a one loss Texas team, Big 12 champion. Does that bump Georgia? Out of the four? And then slide Ohio State in because they didn't lose the conference championship? Or does that slide Texas? Because they beat Alabama. Did they slide into the four? Or does Alabama get the four because they just beat Georgia? Or does Georgia get the four just because they're Georgia and they're a good team? Potential for absolute disaster this year cannot emphasize that enough 14 playoff in a year like this year is such a disaster they should have found a way to make a special exemption as soon as it was approved by college football whoever's in charge to make it 12 teams immediately implemented because now we're faced with this exact situation and you're going to have some incredibly talented amazing one loss teams potentially playing in meaningless bowl games. And that sucks really bad. It's going to suck really bad if we've got Alabama, Ohio State, and Texas all playing meaningless bowl games come the time of college football playoff. Just saying. Sucks. Sucks really bad. Um, the other storyline in college football, and the last thing we'll talk about before we move on to the NFL, Jimbo Fisher Fired from Texas A&M. If Jimbo Fisher didn't have Jameis Winston quarterbacking Florida State when he was the head coach there, Jimbo Fisher would be a nobody. He'd be a coordinator somewhere. Maybe he would have got hired as a head coach at a smaller D1. Certainly would, have got, would not have gotten the job and become one of the top five highest paid coaches in the entire country at a prominent and massive budget program like Texas A&M. And Jimbo Fisher, masterclass recruiter. Always had top recruiting classes. Always, always had good players. Never could quite land maybe the quarterback that he was hoping to get. But it appeared that the supplemental pieces around the quarterback were enough to at least keep him relevant and not be a five-loss team every year. And yet, here we are. Jimbo Fisher fired. I don't care about the money coming out of Texas A&M. Doesn't affect me at all, but there's gotta be a clause worked into these guys' contracts where it's like, if you don't win a certain number of games by the time, you know, we evaluate it halfway through your third, fourth year, and you don't have a certain number of wins, like you're not only fired, but you're only entitled to a certain amount of compensation. Now, Jimbo Fisher never has to work again. He's getting $70 million from Texas A&M, never has to do anything the rest of his life. He may end up coaching somewhere else. He probably will end up coaching somewhere else. But how does that happen? How did these guys get away with that? How does that contract get signed and approved? 
I know Jimbo Fisher won a national championship. I get it. But man, oh man. He also had the number one pick in the NFL draft. He also had the Heisman Trophy. Like, dude. Jimbo Fisher. I, I can't believe how poorly he's done. I mean, I can believe it because I never thought he was this exceptional savior of a coach. But here we are. They thought he was. They gave him the money. Didn't work out. That's it for college football. Moving on to the NFL. So, week 10 college football recap. Let's do it. Thursday night, Bears beat the Panthers 16 to 13. Made me want to throw up. Not going to talk about that game at all. Uh, this morning, Sunday morning, NFL in Frankfurt, Germany. The Colts played the Patriots and they beat them 10 to 6. I mean, again, I did not watch a single second of that game. The only play I've seen from that game was apparently that Bailey Zappi came in for the final drive of the game for the Patriots and threw a pick on a fake spike. I mean, if that doesn't tell you everything about that game and the score of being 10 to 6, I don't know what else you need to know. I mean, how brutal is that? Um, Texans and Bengals. Crazy, crazy game. Texans actually, the Texans beat the Bengals. And CJ Shroud threw 356, a touchdown and a pick. Joe Burrow didn't look great, didn't look terrible. Blows my mind that CJ Shroud apparently tested really poorly at the NFL draft, didn't do well with his evaluations as far as like off the field stuff. Uh, because he is seemingly well, we said it last week, a top 10 quarterback. Easy. I think that's easy. Uh, he had a pretty ugly interception at the end of this game that almost cost the Texans the game. Uh, but He's a rookie, and that I can accept as a rookie. Who's also, by the way, thrown for like 350 and like five, three of his first nine games. Like he's just, he's very good. He's very good. Bengals are still good, I think. They're five and four. I think this year is just so crazy in the NFL because anybody can. And will beat anybody. And you see it with that, right? I mean, I know the Bengals, the Bengals weren't like 30 point favorites. Like they were, I don't know, what were they? Three, two and a half, three and a half point favorites. Like it, you know, Vegas was close with that, but Texans might make a little bit of noise. You know, I think their defense is a little iffy, uh, but their offense is really good and they'll definitely be in games. Now, if they are, in a situation, whether that's later this year or even potentially somehow getting into the playoffs, you know, and they get down early, they get down 14, 17, 21, nothing. Not sure they can overcome something like that, uh, but they held their own against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think that's enough to say right there, especially nine games into the year, they're five and four. Like, that's crazy. Good for them. Uh, Saints played the Vikings. Vikings beat the Saints 27 to 19. Uh, Josh Dobbs is a dog. We don't have very good quarterbacks in the NFL this season. I mean, we have 
uh, a good amount of really good quarterbacks. A lot of guys are underperforming. And then a lot of teams have guys that are just really just mid. And I think that's given Josh Dobbs an opportunity. I mean, obviously, his first opportunity starts with the Arizona Cardinals when Kyler Murray wasn't healthy for the first part of the season. Dobbs steps in on a bad team. You know, they're not winning a lot, but he looked pretty darn good. Actually won a game with the Cardinals. Then he gets traded, has a Herculean effort off the bench in his first game with the Vikings. Doesn't know the players' names that he's playing with. Learning the snap count on the sideline during the game. And ends up winning for the Vikings. This week plays the Saints. Saints have everything there. I know Derek Carr got hurt, but I mean, Saints, you know, like this is just on a platter for the Saints this game, and they just lose. Vikings beat them 27 to 19. Just beat them. Josh Dobbs is, is such a dog. I mean, he is such a competitor. I don't think anybody really knew that Josh Dobbs was like pretty athletic. The guy's making throws on the run. He's scrambling for first downs. He's running from the quarterback position amongst some of the best in the NFL already. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Josh Dobbs is amongst the best quarterbacks in the league because he's not, but he takes care of the ball. Doesn't have bad, ugly interceptions. Doesn't fumble. Picks up first downs. Uh, Another intangible. He absolutely battles. He dives for extra yards. He puts his body on the line. And now the Vikings at six and four are due back for maybe the best receiver in the NFL in the next week or two. Vikings might get in the playoffs, might make a little bit of noise. Now, if they get matched up against, you know, the 49ers or some of the more top teams in the NFC, they might struggle. And that's probably to be expected. But most people thought Viking season over and done. Kirk Cousins is gone. Guys playing lights out, MVP caliber level. You can't replace that guy. And they're not replacing him with Josh Dobbs. But this is one of the best alternatives, apparently, available in the NFL. Josh Dobbs is an animal. Guy's a dog. I'd love to play for that guy. With that guy. Whatever the case may be. Love it. Love Josh Dobbs. Good for him. Uh, Steelers play play the Packers. Beat them 23-19. to 19. Packers are 3-6. and six. They're pretty much done. Uh, Steelers 6-3. and 4-2 and two at home. Steelers, you know, might find themselves in the postseason. Wild card squad. NFC North is pretty darn good. Uh, I'm sorry, AFC North. AFC North is pretty darn good. Uh, so that might be kind of iffy for the Steelers, but they play great defense. And apparently, uh, Matt Canada just needed to be on the sideline, and now they move the ball a lot more efficiently. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Buccaneers played the Titans, beat them 20-6. to six. I mean, like, okay. That game's so, so just bleh to me. Uh, 49ers played the Jags. And just destroyed them. 40, uh, 34 to 3 was the final score. 34 to 3. I think a lot of people expected the 49ers to come out this year and just run the table. Maybe there's, you know, every team loses a game or two here and there. 49ers had their struggles early on. But the 34 to 3 victory over the Jags 
And from what I saw to them in Jacksonville, that's the team we saw in the first couple of weeks. And that's the team everybody is petrified of. Petrified of that team. 49ers, when they click on all cylinders, Brock Purdy doesn't turn the ball over, gets decent protection. Christian McCaffrey gets 20 to 25 touches. They've got Debo, Ayuk, all their weapons available. Now they have Chase Young. They had their early struggles. I wouldn't be even just this much shocked if the 49ers did not lose a football game the rest of the entire season, including the playoffs. I was kind of off the 49ers bandwagon initially. Uh, <laughs> right back on it, man. Right back on it. Holy cow. I mean, they, they made Trevor Lawrence and the Jags a 6-2 and two football team look worthless. And then they just marched the ball down the field. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Somehow McCaffrey didn't score, which that does suck, ending his touchdown score game streak. But uh, 49ers, heads up. Browns beat the Ravens 33-31. That was an excellent game as well. Browns really didn't have much business winning this game. Uh, they were down, I don't know, it was either, I think it was 24-9, and they came back. Deshaun Watson didn't really play great, but, uh, you know, I just don't even really know what to make of this. They just kind of stayed resilient. The defense kept them in the game, and uh, they ended up walking off on a field goal after, uh, I think it was Lamar Jackson threw an interception. It was a tip pass at the line of scrimmage. that was caught. So another team in the Browns that just has no business being 6-3, and three, at least in my opinion, especially the way Deshaun Watson's played. And they're just right there. Defense is good. They can run the ball pretty well. They got Kareem Hunt. They got uh, Jerome Ford. They had Nick Chubb. They don't even have Nick Chubb. Like, after Nick Chubb went down, I was like, they're done. I mean, they're toast. Oh, not at all. Uh, Cardinals played the Falcons. Cardinals beat the Falcons 25-23. I mean, Kyler Murray's back. He looked fine. Uh, Falcons are... Just, I'm not even a Falcons fan, and I think I've spent some time talking about this. Falcons are a disaster of a football team. Like, embarrassing that I even have to spend the time watching these guys go about their business. They've been good at home. They've been horrendous on the road. And Kyler Murray's first game back, when the Falcons have... And finally used Bijan Robinson for 22 carries and 95 rushing yards with a touchdown. Just that by itself. If you just said Bijan Robinson has 22 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown, I'd be like, okay. So Falcons dominated the line of scrimmage, ball control. Cardinals probably scored two touchdowns. I'm going to guess 24 14 Falcons win. Nope. 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 I know they had Taylor Heineke. He was playing. He got benched or I think also knocked out. And then Desmond Ritter had to come in. But Desmond Ritter was their starting quarterback for the first five games. So, like, that shouldn't have interfered with their offensive production. And Desmond Ritter ran for a touchdown. So, okay. But, I mean, the Falcons are such a joke. 
I mean, they don't use their guys at all up until this point. I knew they used Bijan today for 22 and 95 yards, but still, like, where is Kyle Pitts? Where is Drake London? Where are these guys? I mean, let's look at the box score. I mean, Drake London, four targets, three catches for 36 yards. Oh, he was your first rounder. Got it. Kyle Pitts, three catches, 30 yards. Now they threw the ball 21 times. They ran the ball 41 times. Looks like they were committed to the run game. Great. Awesome. But you can also pull it out if you want. You can pull the ball out and throw it. Or not. Or just lose. I mean, some of their losses this year. Let's see. Falcons have lost. The Lions are a good team. The Jags are a good team. Losing the Commanders with the Falcons talent on the offensive side of the ball shouldn't happen. Uh, they lose to the Titans. Shouldn't happen. Lost to the Vikings with Josh Dobbs last week. Shouldn't happen. Losing to the Cardinals this week. Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. And yet it does. What a joke. Uh, Lions played the Chargers 41-30. Uh, sorry. Lions played the Chargers in LA. Beat them 41-38. 2023 Lions are that team. They're finding ways to win. They're making the right calls, the right fourth down conversions at the right times, taking care of the football. And they have the offensive firepower to keep up with just about anybody in the league. Their defense is going to need some work. But I'm telling you right now, we come, we come time for February. We come time for the Super Bowl. The Lions are in the NFC championship game or in the Super Bowl. Not even a little bit shocked by that. Wouldn't be shocked for one split second. Lions are really, 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 really good, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Jared Goff is playing immaculate football this season. David Montgomery is a phenomenal carrier of the football. Jameer Gibbs is a first-round pick. Both of those guys ran for 100 yards on the Chargers. Not saying a lot against that defense, but you get my point. Alvin Ross St. Brown, 100 receiving yards. Josh Reynolds, nasty. Sam Laporta was the best tight end statistically for the first six weeks of the season. I think ultimately the Lions, their demise is going to end up coming on the defensive side of the ball when they can't stop a lot. They're not completely worthless but when they give up points they give up points big time and that's going to be an issue especially if they end up matching up against the 49ers like in the nfc championship or something like that it might get pretty ugly just because the 49ers will score and then stop the lions and then they'll score again maybe another side like it might get out of hand but i love the lions lions look really 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 good this year i like everything they're doing dan campbell's an excellent head coach inspiring those guys are bought in Everyone's healthy for them at the moment and hope that stays the case. Knock on wood. Look out for the Lions. January, February. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Chargers on the losing end of that lose another one possession game. The Chargers 
with Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Gerald Everett, other side of the ball, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Derwin James, uh, linebacker Murray, Got honestly a roster you would dream of if you're playing Madden or you're assembling a team. If you're just an NFL fan, you would do almost anything to have a collection of talent on that roster. And then step two would be you'd assume through nine games or through the span of having all those guys, you'd walk out with some AFC title game appearances, some division wins. I know they're matched up with the Chiefs and Mahomes and everything else in the division. I totally get it. But what a joke of a team also. Chargers always find a way to lose. Always find a way to lose. Cowboys beat the Giants 49-17. to Just hammered the Giants. Uh, Seahawks take down the Commanders 29-26. Seahawks are six and three. Seahawks look pretty good. Not going to complain. Uh, but the Hawks, yeah, just the offense is just so spotty. And like when it's cold for them on the offensive side of the ball, it stays cold, stays cold. So they got to work on that. And then this Sunday night football game that just wrapped up, uh, the Raiders beat the Jets 16 to 12. I don't know. You know, are the Raiders going to be a threat this year? Probably not. Are the Jets going to be a threat this year? Probably not. You know, hopefully Aaron Rodgers, if he finds his way back, that'd be really cool to see. Uh, but it may be a little bit too too little too late for the Jets in that situation. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how that unfolds for the Jets, if they can find some wins in the next four to six weeks. Uh, looking at their remaining schedule, they got a lot of games left. I mean, everyone does. But, you know, they play the Bills at the Bills next week. Might be a loss. They play the Dolphins after that. Might be a loss. You know, then they got the Falcons. They got the Texans. Oh, wait, the Texans are good. That might be a loss. You know, in the, in the next six weeks or five weeks after uh, their game tonight, the next five games, Bills, Dolphins, Falcons, Texans, Dolphins again. Uh, the way they look... I, it looks like one and four in the next five. And at that point, again, let's say you get Rodgers back. Still just might be too little too late, and that would stink. So I hope they could find a way to squeeze some wins out of that. Their defense is really darn good, man, but I just uh, they got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. So tomorrow uh, and this week, too, just the buys were horrendous in terms of uh, <laughs> the NFL was like, who are the best teams minus the Rams? Put them all in a bye. Chiefs, Rams, Dolphins, Eagles. I mean, it is what it is, you know? It is what it is. But, um, yeah, tomorrow night, Monday night, Broncos, Bills, Monday night football. Bills are favored by seven. Haven't given out my play of the day quite yet. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, leaning a player prop somewhere. Hmm. Not sure. Yeah, we'll see. But either way, 
that wraps it up, guys. We were chatting up over an hour. Episode 72. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys appreciated it. If you guys uh listen all the way to the end, love it. Really appreciate it. Be sure if you're not already following us on Instagram and TikTok at we know ball sports. My handle on Twitter is at Ryan knows ball. Uh, clips from the show. If you missed them already, we'll be on YouTube and the main talking points. Same as the case with that Instagram and TikTok we talked about. Um, so yeah, check us out on YouTube and uh, we do some breakdowns and reaction videos on there as well. Uh, but either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 72, of the we know ball podcast, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Oh,